Hello, and welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire with Christian and Gabriel. The podcast where I try to catch up my friend Gabriel on everything I think he missed and he should know about the 90s that he missed while he was being homeschooled and sheltered from the outside world by a very caring mother. for computer chaos as the year 2000 approached. Would computer systems crash when the calendar switched over to 2000? PayPal, one of the most widely used online payment platforms, was viewed as one of the 10 worst business ideas of 1999. (laughs) Until the year 1999, Montana, the state of Montana, didn't have a speed limit on the interstate and encourage drivers instead to be reasonable and prudent. The DVD player made by Panasonic cost $297. Okay, tell me about 1999. What's going on in your life? Well, one of the standout things is I'm super amped for the reintroduction of Star Wars into theaters. The hell you say. So uh, this was my chance. This was young me's chance to relive the glory of Star Wars on a, on a gigantic screen um, since I missed both the original. And then I, I think they did a theatrical re-release when they did the special editions. I'm not 100% sure. I believe that actually did happen. But yes. I think they did. And I didn't get to do either of those things because I didn't have the uh, the voting power in the household to be able to say we should go do that. But here it comes. 99. I'm uh, I'm 11. So I have uh, enough awareness to to know that's coming and to be excited for it and uh, uh, to push for that to happen. Um, We are still living in uh, French Cucamonga. Um, A lot of uh, outside activity. I think it's increasing. Uh, I'm not sure if we're at the point yet where I'm doing, I think we're a little ways out from yearly rock climbing, but I think I've done it. So there's some, there's some outside stuff for me to get excited about, not just the budding computer industry, which is, of course, about to crash, as we all know, historically, um, from from that unfortunate coding um, overlook. Because computers aren't smart enough, obviously. They weren't made no. to think, uh, to cover mm-hmm. that, that part. Nope. Um, 1999, I am... Oof. I am in, in uh, SOI. Living my best life, learning about the crew-served mortar weapon. I I remember 1999 and boot, and not boot camp, I'm sorry, but SOI. So there was a guy that was in there. He was already a PFC. I was a private because I didn't bother, you know, with rank and stuff like that. And during SOI, he was like the top gunner, like the top, you know, mortar man from our, from our class. But he had already been through two SOIs. So the dude had to be good, right? Had to be good. So when it got to like the final test to kind of prove the top Marine for the for the class, it was me and him against each other. And the test was who can carry all three parts of the mortar, 20 meters, set it up and be the most accurate with the setup. And I whooped his ass, but fuck me sideways. Uh, my levers were a little bit off. And his was off, were off, 
but mine were off by 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 uh, five you know clicks more than him. So neither one of us got it right, but his was less uh, inaccurate. So I lost to him, and um, I still remember that because. <laughs> He ended up getting Lance Corporal for being the top. Oh, yeah. He ended up getting Lance Corporal for being the top. Oh, uh, no. The top, you know, uh, Marine in SOI. And uh, and I hated myself for, for having lost to him for, on such a small technicality. So that was 99 for, 1999 for me in a nutshell. That moment of this man beat me when I know I could I could have smoked him. And the fact that he had been in SOI twice already made me realize he was a dummy and it was better than him maybe he just really liked soi maybe the chow was really good i mean i really liked soi but you know uh it doesn't uh mean uh you know uh anything right it doesn't mean you'd opt to do it twice more is that what you're saying no no soi was fun but it was not fun (laughs) it's a lot more fun in retrospect yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Everything's everything's great when it's a black and white photograph. <laughs> All right, Gabe. Speaking of movies, speaking of Star Wars, I mean, who would have thunk that this would have been the first movie we would have mentioned in um, in 1999? Yes, Gabe. The Phantom Menace releases uh, almost 16 years after the Return of the Jedi, grosses close to a billion dollars. <laughs> No big deal. No big deal. No big deal for The Phantom Menace in 1999. Um, So you mentioned you were eagerly looking forward to it. It becomes the highest grossing film of 1999 and the second uh, highest grossing film uh, right behind Titanic and the best uh, of all the Star Wars. You know, it just it it, it's ridiculous. So it got re-released. And you know how like 3D was a thing that kind of got popular for so it had a it had a re-release of 3D, um, and it put it over the one billion mark because it made like a hundred another hundred hundred million dollars. <laughs> so I see what you did. Yeah, as you know, that's that's exactly what what happened there. Too so yeah, funny. so so tell me about about the Phantom Menace and and uh, and the the lead the lead up to it, and then the actual watch. So I remember there being like. I was at a friend's house and there was this big hype because there was like, I forget even what like program, it was some news program had like a sneak peek at some of the footage and you got to see like the battle droids for the first time. And some of the scene scene with it, less of the silly and more of just them unfolding and being like deployed. And you're just like, Oh my gosh, what is this? You know, this is not like anything we've seen. So there's a lot of hype. Um, I think I was at the point, so I took Star Wars very seriously, obviously, um, but I was also a, a friggin' 11-year-old, so I think I was at the exact right demographic for that. You know, I know Lucas has talked about how like he made those for his grandkids, you know, and it was the, the prequel trilogy was a bit more uh, geared towards children. Lighthearted. Yeah, and uh, a little more tongue-in-cheek. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I don't think... Uh, that was one of the things. So, like, I'm cognizant now when some of this stuff comes out about the criticism it gets, and perhaps I'm a little more critical mm-hmm. as a connoisseur of it. But I think I was just stoked, and I think I was just happy to happy to be there. It was it was a super highlight. Again, it's the biggest memory for me of that year, even though Y2K was happening. Like, maybe I didn't care that the world was going to end because I got to see Star Wars in theaters. 
It's pretty good. I I at the time was not like a Star Wars like fanatic, right? I, I mean, I had seen the originals. My friends were, though. And what I remember about the release, right, was a four-hour line, okay, at the theater. To, 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 like, it was, it was buying the tickets and then yeah. waiting in line. Yeah. Because, like, if you, we were watching, like, the 2 p.m. showing, but we needed to get there at 10 to buy tickets so it wouldn't be sold out. And yep. then wait in line so you could at least get a decent seat. So it was a combination yeah. of those things. What kind of dark ages was it when we didn't used to have, like, assigned seats when you bought your tickets? Dude, let me tell you, in L.A., in L.A., there was one theater who did assigned seating in the 90s, okay? And it was the, the Cinerama Dome. Had uh, their time. You know, on Sunset Boulevard. Uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was like a thing. It was, like, at the time, like $16, $17 a ticket. It was an expensive ticket because you could choose your seat. And it was like a, it was like a IMAX almost, you know, like the curved, uh, enormous screen. So it was a cinematic experience. So like you went and and you watched and experienced the movie. Um, that is not where I saw the Phantom Menace. <laughs> I saw it. <laughs> I saw it at the Graham's Chinese Theater. So anyway, so we get there. Um, we're two hours into the line, and I'm like, my friends are super hyped, and I'm just like, this is okay. Now it's on Hollywood Boulevard, right, right across the street from the El Capitan Theater. And back in the day, you know, like the piercing tattoos, uh, you know, uh, souvenir spots right across the street from um, Ripley's Believe It or Not, you know, like that. So I go, I'm like, okay, I need to go for a walk. And, you know, like cool metal stores, cool like uh, rock and roll stores, you know, you would go into. And I went into this place and it was a piercing and tattoo place. And while waiting in line for the theater, I went and got my second tattoo. (laughs) Makes a lot of sense. It was so there was one guy working there, so I'm like, oh, he said, this is again before I learned. I'm like, oh, well, you're a tattoo artist. All right, well, I'm looking for this tattoo. He goes, what are you looking for? It was my dad's name. I was gonna get it right above my mom, uh, right under my mom's name. Dudes are like, cool. Uh, I said, look, I already have my mom's name on me. Can you match the letters? It's cursive. He's like, yeah, sure, sure, totally, yeah. Oof, boy, oh boy. I- imagine an eight-year-old trying to do cursive, except a. Uh, you know, 30 year old doing a tattoo. It is, it is a, it is not a great tattoo that has not aged well, but I will never cover it up and I will never get rid of it because it was a time and place. And it's literally directly connected to the release of the Phantom Menace. <laughs> I remember now that you're talking about it, I've gotten so used to the, the assigned seats. Like I remember the phenomena of showing up at the theater and having Somebody had to go stand in line for seats, right? Oh, away, yeah. Like, get in the seat line. And then the rest of you, like, you know, go someone go get the ticket line and get the tickets because you didn't want to miss out on that. And, like, I, how how it took so long. Like, I suppose a certain amount of hype is good if people show up and buy snacks because they're there early. But, like, having lines that were just, like, wrapping around your lobby couldn't have been really super great. No. Because then you just got a bunch of people loitering in the way. Yeah, no. Um, but no, the movie itself, though, uh, I remember, obviously, I mean, everybody has their their, their problems with Jar Jar. Um, right. I was a huge fan of Darth Maul. I thought he was the coolest bad guy ever. I was upset that they killed him at the end. Oh, just immediately. But definitely, like, seeing a world of Jedis where they're a police force almost, you know? Or a ninja force, or a, or a recon force, whatever the hell that the, they end up being in the in, negotiators. I'm doing negotiators, yeah. 
Um, I do remember, though, that I went to see it again in the theater because my friends wanted to go see it again. And the second time, I fell asleep twice in the in between. <laughs> Because, you know, it starts with a good action sequence, and then there's yeah. a lot of talking. I fell asleep yeah. through that. Woke up for the action sequence. Fell asleep again. Woke up for the action sequence. You uh, mean trade, intergalactic trade policy wasn't, wasn't was not stimulating? Thing. Was not my thing. But, um, but no, no. I, I still think it, it was a good movie. I think it was an amazing movie for, for Darth Maul and for Jedis. I think everything else, though, was a little, it's just a little difficult to watch. It was. It was a little longer than it should have been. There was definitely some uh, some interesting choices made there. I I want to say too, as another unfortunate consequence of the super fandom, that was probably the first you had your first couple casualties to the what would apparently become an awful pattern of bullying people who played a role in Star Wars for the role they played. Oh yeah, the kid, huh? The um... Ahmed Best too, Jar Jar. Oh, that's right. I did read a story he, he where was he was suicidal. He was suicidal because, but I mean that character. Okay, so outside of how annoying he was, right? Right. There was also the racial implications of it. I mean, the entire movie was riddled with racial implications, right? There's there's some problems, but but bullying him for it is is so far from the solution. Well. Okay, wait. I almost sounded like I was going to defend the police for a second. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, what do you think about... No, 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 no. Not even at all. There is a, definitely a moment where you have to separate the artist from the art itself. Yeah. Uh, and you could say, well, he could have turned the role down when he saw how, what they were expecting from him. But I'm like, who the fuck turns down a Star Wars yeah. leading role that pays God knows how much? And it probably is going to... You know, put you in a trilogy. Uh, you know, God knows how many more movies. Like, it is it is a dream of any actor to like be able to get in on something like this, and you don't fucking say no. And and maybe in hindsight, it doesn't start. It, it isn't him. It's everyone else who made a decision to make a lot of racially charged characters and voices. You know, like there was so many problems with it. But yeah. He was not the problem. No, and and, and, and I don't understand how we haven't learned over the years, like how how that's such a repeat issue. Where I I mean, it's happened. It, basically, every movie I think every every Star Wars movie. Oh says, yeah, I mean, Menace, somebody at least at least one, if not multiple people, have didn't, gotten. Didn't the uh, didn't the uh, the little uh uh not the Jake little. Floyd. Yeah, like she got a ton. Also, and I'm like, oh no, are you talking about so Jake Lloyd from so episode one had a Med Best and Jake Lloyd? No, no, sure. I meant uh, the Asian girl from the yeah, new uh, one, Rose Tika, Rose Tika, I think. I, I'm not Kelly, gonna. No, that was her character, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I Kelly that, Marie Tran. That I had no idea why. I'm like, what's the problem with that one? I I I mean, again, I think of all the problems in that movie or those movies multiple in the sequel trilogy like complaints about her, the logical choices about her character are so far down and then of course it's not the actress's choice no not even a little bit if anything we're all upset that there was never that relationship built between uh finn and poe you yeah. know you know they Missed wanted it they wanted it yeah it's uh 
Uh, and at the time, I wasn't cognizant of any of that because I didn't follow the the media coverage as much. Or Me neither. I literally found that. I was just excited. I literally found that about his suicidal um, uh, moments in an in an interview like five years ago. <laughs> right. You know, same. When he opened and then up the about happy, it. The happy ending for that is that like he got to be uh, he got to be a Jedi, and <laughs> and and like publicly and like come full circle and have like a role that he liked doing a thing that he wanted to do a positively portray. So, yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to put it out there right now that we're probably going to need to cut some stuff because I think we just spent like a quarter yeah, of sure. our time talking for about sure. this movie. All right. So let's talk about the next movie. Another banger, ridiculous, like franchise, the matrix comes out in 1999. Also, I mean, Written by the Wachowski, well, written and directed by the uh, Wachowski brothers, right? First installment, Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss, Hugo Weaving. Hugo Weaving's amazing. Massive box office success, right? I mean, I think this is one of those like half a billion dollar movies. By the way, I was really surprised that the budget was only $63 million for that one. I expected it to be more for some reason. I guess the CGI was probably most of that too, because the rest of the stuff, you know, is pretty common. You know, they were like, "Give us some of those phones that go click, click." Uh, yeah. Guns, yeah, lots of guns, and uh, you know, leather. The highest-grossing film for Warner Brothers, um, fourth highest-grossing film of the year, uh, nominated for, uh, nominated and won in all four nominations for best visual effects. Best film editing, best sound, and best sound editing. I'm not sure what best sound and what best sound editing, what the difference between the two is because you're like, well, you made a really good horse sound. Well, you made that horse sound sound really good, like a horse. Clippity clop was on point. I'm not entirely sure how that works. Um, I, I mean, when you talk about these two movies, right, The Phantom Menace and The Matrix, I feel like The Matrix left a much larger impact on 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 pop culture right i mean they referenced uh, the the um innovation of the filming and the the scenes you know in i mean for the next 10 years they were doing that little you know the the keanu reeves like lean back bullets flying through you yeah you know they created bullet time in both movie and video game insane they solidified what does that mean and what does that look like Speaking of that, I remember playing the hell out of the Matrix game. That slow motion bullet time was amazing, dude. It was almost like Max Payne got it good. The Matrix just nailed it. It's so perfect. I remember being hooked on that game. But this movie was really fun. It, part two was really good. I think around part three, I was like, I don't know what's going on anymore. I, I, I am not entirely sure I understand what the Matrix is anymore. Um, I did like the Animatrix, the 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 animated yep. versions that they did. I th- I thought those were fantastic. But back to the original film, I, it was such a great movie, such a fun, fun, good, like you know, almost. There was a movie called Dark City that was reminded me of it. But yeah, so well done, and and like Keanu Reeves, just you know, like again, like for a man who's not a like doesn't have a lot of range in his acting, just perfect as Neo. Just so good, Lawrence Fishburne. I mean, just ridiculously good overall, like fun film to watch. Now, I have not watched it in probably 15 years, but I still recall it's good. 
I've seen it more recently. I've seen it within the last five years. And yeah, my exposure, it's funny. I'll never forget my exposure to this, to hearing about this movie either. We had a, a woodworking class that we took, my brother and I. And uh, in, it was, was it in, a neighbor's uh, garage? It wasn't a neighbor, but it was in someone's garage. It was. <laughs> and I don't know how this got sourced. Uh, I don't remember the details there. I guess it didn't matter to me. We had a woodworking class, and we would we would show up to this uh, guy's garage in, uh, I think it was Azusa. It was my brother, and myself, and then there's the other two kids, and about our age, um, uh, and they were talking about the Matrix. They were talking about this new movie. They, they both were just going on about it. Their minds were blown, and I hadn't heard of it because, again, I I wasn't paying attention outside my own you know sphere of interest, particularly, and they would just not stop talking about it. And I was like, what is this? And like the, the, the snippets they talked about and the things just made no sense <laughs> to just hear random, to hear a couple of random, you know, either barely teenager or slightly, you know, preteen talking about the matrix and how incredible it was. I didn't get it. And then I remember when I ended up seeing the movie a couple years later, I was like, Oh, I, I, I get it. Like I'll, I'll never forget hearing them talk about it being like, I don't understand what they're talking about or why the hype and i was like oh <laughs> okay yeah uh I, I i again i don't remember what like where or when i watched it but i just remember just such a great film such a great film yeah um next one we're going to talk about uh again 99 is a pretty good year uh fight club comes out in 99 directed by david fincher starring brad pitt Edward Norton and Helena Bond Carter and Meatloaf, if I recall. Um, I think a little bit like The Matrix, innovator when it came to a form and style of of uh, of a film. The you know I remember like the the slow motion action sequences and things like that. And this is why I was surprised about The Matrix, the budget of The Matrix. The budget of Fight Club was the same as The Matrix. But when you when you think about those two movies, you're like, no, The Matrix seems more expensive, or Fight Club should have been less, uh, should have been cheaper. <laughs> 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 Somebody's walking around with twenty million dollars in their pocket. <laughs> um, twenty million for catering? What's this? <laughs> Brad Pitt loves live cows to be slaughtered and cooked <laughs> for every lunch. So that's why he was adopting all those kids is to make up for that. I think so. Too. That was before he met Angelina and she, you know, uh, changed him. Yeah. Changed them, you know. Uh, Fight Club, what do you what do you got? So I only saw Fight Club within the last. Uh, 2020's throwing me off. I'm going to say the last five years. Holy. I, I can't be. Cow. Yeah, I know. And it's what's funny is it got to a point where, like, I knew I needed to see it and I knew of. And I even at a certain point had friends who were like, we're going to watch this. And it was just nobody sat down. And, and so finally it happened. Um, uh, I'm, I'm pretty good at, if a movie is entertaining, like my suspension of disbelief, I stop thinking about like anything I know about it outside. I don't, I'm not sitting there thinking like, how do I solve for what's going to happen? So I, I just enjoyed the hell out of it. You know, I, I'm sure I had heard of whatever, you know, the twist or whatever mm. I'd heard. Um, but like, I kind of just brushed that up, you know, and I, I enjoyed the heck out of the movie and it was, you know, it lived up to the hype that I'd, I'd heard over the years, over the many intervening years. I mean, almost 20 years, Gabe. <laughs> the many intervening years. 
I I am a huge fan of of, of uh, Fight Club. I think the acting is exceptional. I think the look of it is great. Style. I yeah, the style. I remember watching this and thinking, man, Brad Pitt is exceptionally good at either. Well, now I think about it as either choosing roles or his range as an actor because. In that movie, he really, like, he is playing Di- Tyler Durden. He is not himself. Uh, Jared Leto was in that, too. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, beautiful. like, really good storytelling, great acting. Like, again, like, the style of it, fantastic. Uh, a really good concept of, like, you know, about an anarchist group who follows what anarchy is supposed to be, you know? Like, so well done. Um I've seen this movie well over a dozen times and yeah, it's, it's exceptional. It's exceptional movie. And, and yeah, like the first time you watch it, you get the twist, the second three, four, five viewings, you keep, keep catching different things that that you didn't catch before. Um, it's uh yeah, no, it's such a great film. Um, a, a little fun fact, the writer, uh, David Fincher, he had a sequel in plan and it was going to go, into effect but it never did and while i was living in vegas uh so maybe you know probably less than 10 years ago probably seven years ago they turned his sequel into a comic book oh and it's really good so what happens is fast forward 10 15 years 10 years probably uh the lead character right uh edward norton slash brad pitt a spoiler uh, has been married to the female character for a long time. They had a kid, and everything has been going great. And then the kid gets kidnapped. And you find out that the wife had gotten a little bored of the housewife stuff and basically had switched his uh, his pills mm. so that Tyler Durden uh, had been working the same way as before in the background. So... You find out that Tyler Durden had a whole corporation and everything, and he's been he's he never stopped. Basically, he never stopped, and he had his kid kidnapped, and you know Edward Norton's character is then trying to like rescue his son from himself. <laughs> it is such a good comic book and such a great like idea of like, yeah, this woman was crazy. He literally yeah, met her. You know, like under circumstances where she was nutty. And yes, of course she would get bored of the housewife and switch his pills and let Tyler come back. It was it was fantastic. It's such a great comic book. And such a great way for like the you know the sequel to have continued. And I can see why they never made it, but the comic book did justice to it. It was fantastic. That's awesome. Um, very quickly, because I am a huge Kevin Smith fan, the movie Dogma comes out in 1999 with, of course, like the ridiculous cast that he always gets, right? Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, George Carlin, Linda Florentino, Janine Garofalo, Chris Rock, Jason Lee, Salma Hayek, Alan Rickman, Alanis Morissette, you know, $10 million movie, $44 million uh, gross, you know, very normal for for uh, uh, Kevin Smith to to, if not double, quadruple your money. Did you ever watch Dogma? I think Dog was one of the ones I haven't seen. I highly recommend it. It is because he, Kevin Smith, grew up very religious, right? Very Catholic. Mm-hmm. This is his his stab at like 
why religion doesn't, why the Bible and religion doesn't work. George Carlin is awesome. You get introduced to Buddy Jesus in this movie. Uh, the Catholic Church is trying to revamp the, you know, trying to revamp and get uh, a younger generation in. So instead of Jesus with his arms crossed and crucified, it's Jesus giving you the thumbs up and, uh, and uh, finger guns. I've, I've definitely seen the meme. <laughs> so that's where it comes from. It's it's exceptional. Oh it is basically like a really, really fantastic look at religion and and pointing out the plot holes and... Uh, and creating uh, an apocalypse and an Armageddon based on the loopholes within the Bible. Uh, Latin's more, well, I won't spoil it, but it's a fantastic film. It's so funny. It's so smart and well-written. And it has the usual ridiculous conversations and crude jokes that Kevin Smith will supply for you. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's really, really good. Um, Chris Rock's character, I'll tell you, is the 13th apostle, the one they never wrote about. <laughs> because, of course, they didn't. Because he was black. Right? <laughs> it is really, really good. Really good. All right. Uh, moving on to TV shows. Okay, this was, that, this was that year when Who Wants to Be a Millionaire ruled every night of the week. So, of the top five most popular shows... Three of them were millionaire on Sunday, on Tuesday, and on Thursday. I guess a lot of people wanted to be millionaires. People respond to that question. Apparently. ER and Friends were also uh, top TV shows of, at the time. Now, TV shows that ended in uh, 1999. This was a show that I watched on Nickelodeon called Doug. Did you ever watch Doug? I didn't watch it. I knew of it. Yeah. Uh, animated series. Um the the show focused on the life of uh, the character Doug, and you know experiences uh, as a teenager in his hometown. He would narrate the show. It was on for seven years. I was a big fan. I was a big fan of Doug. It was funny. It was good. Um, it was just one of those. This one was interesting because it shows you the times, right? Because now it's YouTube channels and it's YouTube that does this. But back in the day, there was a magazine called Game Pro Magazine. Okay. There was a TV show, a weekly syndicated TV show called Game Pro TV, where it was the it was the TV show version of the magazine. So it was a video game television show. It ran for a full year. And it was a low budget, like talking about upcoming games for Nintendo, you know, like uh, Sega and things like that. It was, you know, like, again, what what we do now on YouTube back then was an actual TV show on television. I remember watching it. I was because, you know, it was the only way you would get news about about like TV, uh, you know, games. That you just reminded me. So I didn't watch that um, at the time. But like, I remember even a little bit later than that, probably. I remember on uh satellite you had i forget which tech or some kind of channel they had uh x play which was hosted by a couple people it was all video game it was like what's happening in video games and again you're right youtube 100 percent took that style of show and said well this is a better format for it and so it lives there now like i i don't know if all of those programs completely disappeared but i'd lost complete track yeah but yeah i thought i thought it was very interesting and i 
And it's funny because, you know, now I watch all those on YouTube. So, yeah, that was a cool cool, (laughs) it was a cool callback. Our next TV show comes with a theme. And tell me if this sounds familiar. It definitely sounds familiar. Boy, what an epic, what an epic theme. I can't, I don't, I can't place it right now, but I'm going to be, I'm ready to be impressed. Hercules, the legendary journeys. That fits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, American TV show filmed in New Zealand. It it was gorgeous. I remember watching this show and thinking, my God, the sights. Uh, But yeah, it was the tales of, uh, you know, the Greek uh, hero uh, Hercules uh, starring Kevin Zorbo. Do not look up Kevin Zorbo now because he is a madman. But back then, he was a very, very good actor who seemed very nice. I remember watching this, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed this show. It was such a fun, lighthearted, funny, like popcorn TV show, you know? Really good. I was a big fan. Tough. Never saw it, but uh, but the theme... The theme is definitely right. Conveys, Pretty epic. Conveys what's going on. Speaking of epic themes, does this theme sound familiar? I'm gonna guess no, but I might be surprised by you. No, you're right. I don't. I don't recognize it. A very stylistically divergent from our last. A little bit. A little theme. bit. This was the theme song to the show that started in 1999 called The Sopranos. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the story revolved around Tony Soprano, played by the great, uh, the late great James Galdofini. Uh, and uh, it had Edie Falco, uh, played his wife, fantastic actress. Uh, yeah, Soprano. Fantastic show, man. I, I was a huge fan of this show. Did you ever get around to watching that one? I never got around to watching it. That's one of those shows, though, that you couldn't avoid hearing about because so many things got compared over the years uh, and held up to that that standard of television, it seems like. I agree. I agree. Now, I have two more shows to talk about, but we're actually going to have to push them off to, to the next episode because there's some deaths that I want to talk about. All right. The big one, Stanley Kubrick, American film director, Mm -hmm. dies in 1999. 70 years old, uh, he died um, from a heart attack that he suffered in his sleep. For those of you who don't know, Stanley Kubrick is responsible for such films as Dr. Strangelove, The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, 2001 Space Odyssey, a Clockwork Orange, and his last film, Eyes Wide Shut. I mean, some of the most 
amazing iconic iconic and probably again subjectively some of the greatest films ever made they really are uh he was an incredible uh director uh some would say a perfectionist and when you watch a stanley kubert's movie there are scenes much like tarantino much like all the iconic directors that we have now where you know you're watching that film uh i think Oh, I always think, and I, not only because it's one of my favorite movies of all time, but in Full Metal Jacket, the bathroom scene, it's gorgeous. It is one of the most beautiful, beautifully shot films I've ever, uh, scenes I've ever seen. No, I got nothing I can add to that. I just agree. Fantastic. This one's for you. Joe DiMaggio died in 1999. American uh, baseball player, center fielder. Uh, he spent his entire 13-year career with the uh, New York Yankees, considered one of the greatest baseball players of all time, uh, had a 56-game hitting streak, a record that still stands, okay? During his time with the Yankees, the club won 10 American League pennants and 9 World Championships. That's impressive. Guy was, guy was a bit of a winner. He was. Uh, speaking of winning, he was also married to Marilyn Monroe for nine months. <laughs> nine months of winning. Uh, he died at the age of 84. Uh, he was a heavy smoker for much of his life. Uh, lung cancer got him. It'll get you. It'll get you. Um, the last person I want to talk about is... I, I was a huge fan of, of wrestling growing up, right? WWF from the mid-80s to the late 90s. I was a huge fan. And the Hart Wrestling family was some of my favorite uh, wrestlers, right? Bret the Hitman Hart, to this day, is up there as one of my top three favorites of all time. Uh, in 1999, though, unfortunately, his younger brother, Owen Hart, passed away. It was very tragic because he... What's the best way to put this? He died due to... Uh, a malfunction in the, in the equipment for an entrance that he was doing for a pay-per-view event. So he actually died on live television. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. So what happened was during the entrance, um, he was he was being lowered from the rafters and the equipment malfunctioned and he fell uh, into the ring like very, very badly. And, I think I heard of that. Yeah. And he passed on, um, you know. So he he joined he joined the WWF much later after Hitman Hart after the Hart Foundation, you know like after they had they were ex distinguished right like the Hart family, the reason why they call them that is because the father, um, Stu Hart, was uh, also a trainer. He was a professional wrestler back before wrestling was a thing and was popular, uh, and he ended up training a lot of well-known superstars in the game like Edge, Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit. And uh, his kids. Uh, so he came from a family of, of wrestlers, like, uh, you know, like, you know, it, it's a, it's royalty, almost the Hart fa family. And he came in and when he first joined, like, you know, he was the kid brother. He was trying to make his he was trying to make his uh, his name known. He had gotten really good. He had gotten famous. He, he had a, a decent role in the in the WWF family. And then, you know, unfortunately, that happened. So. Very tragic, but uh, but you know, just uh, I remember when this happened, and uh, I was very sad to see that. Just because 
such an avoidable thing, you know, to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, moving on from deaths to music that was popular in the 1999. So, uh, obviously, Cher is very popular when she makes her comeback with the song Believe and creates the auto-tune craze that we now all love and cherish. Uh, so, that happened in 1999. But then this song also came out in 1999, Gabe. And you need to tell me how much you love this song. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mambo number five. One, two, three, four, five. Everybody in the car, so come on, let's ride to the liquor store around the corner. The boy said, Yeah, I. I remember when the song came out and it was everywhere on the radio and it I was just like why why but it was one of the top hits from 1999 Gabe Some things are just catchy aren't they though Tekken Toys from 1999 it won't surprise you it surprised the hell out of me though because how much of this cost in 1999 but the Darth Maul figure was one of the most popular uh, toys of 1999 a 12-inch posable character. It had electronic effects. It included accessories for the low, low price of $32.99. Who the hell was paying $32.99 for a Star Wars figure in 1999, Gabe? I mean, an investor. Man, oh man, let me tell you this. I wonder, I wonder what that's worth now. Oh, hey. We know your time is valuable. Thank you for holding. Someone will be with you as soon as possible. Thank you for your call. We appreciate your business and the opportunity to assist you. Please continue to hold. A representative is working hard to take your call just as soon as possible. I mean, it looks like it's it's not even worth what it was worth then. <laughs> I'm surprised with the collectible stuff. It's like twenty two ninety nine. This one's thirty eight plus shipping. Oh no! So like, I mean, I, I didn't even adjust for inflation. <laughs> Color me surprised. So wait, so this. Money now, thirty-two and ninety-nine to now would have been like fifty-two, huh? Has to be at least, right? <laughs> oh, it lost value. Oh, that's Poor terrible. That's as long terrible. as it didn't lose half its value. Wow, that's actually very good too. Damn, Gabe, <laughs> why do I do this when you're the when you're the one who's got the jokes? <laughs> um, all right, and we'll end it with a little bit of Hollywood gossip. And the only reason why I brought this up is because I thought. This was actually very funny because he built his career on making jokes about this. Uh, Eminem, rapper, as you might know him, um, not to be confused with actor and, you know. Or the candy. Or the candy. But rapper Eminem marries Kimberly Ann Scott for the first time. Uh, <laughs> had to happen. It had to happen at least once. You can't complain about a woman unless you've been married to her. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Uh, he was like, you know what? I need some material. Come here. Come here. <laughs> They're not talking about me right now. Come here. 
All right, that is 1994. Gabe, any uh, any thoughts so far? That is 1999. Oh, 1999. Jesus, what year am I on? Oh, you know what? Yeah. I'm st- I'm still thinking about the last episode we did. That's what it is. Adjusting for inflation. Yeah, adjusting. <laughs> um, uh. <laughs> 1999 was like it was real good. Like I, uh, I mean, again, you know, we had the excitement in the real world, which I was young enough that Y2K. I didn't have to worry about it. I know. Can we can we save Y2K talk for next one? Because I, I should yeah, have, no, no, no. Should have saved it for we'll this one. But but uh, the 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 Phantom Menace took up way too much time. Yeah, no no <laughs> diesels. But like I, I wasn't worried about things. But it was interesting. It was interesting. Eleven year old me was inter- It was interesting. Star Wars. There's Star Wars hype and future hype because you knew there was going to be more movies. Right. This was just the beginning. That's and, true. Uh, you were aware back then. You like, oh yeah, this is the thing. Uh huh. And then they kicked off. You know, the usual. There was going to be toys. There was going to be Legos. I got some of the Lego sets. Like there was, there was much fun to be had as a result. Um, and there's a bunch of stuff that I didn't realize was going to be uh, impactful happening, like the Matrix that I just didn't understand when people were talking about it in you know, Woodshop. And you watching Fight Club five years ago, Christ. Right. Well, you know, you have to make 1999 last as long as you can, right? Because you you got a party like it's 1999? Always. <laughs> All right, everybody. Let's get into our little red Corvettes and say goodbye for the episode. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>